Good afternoon. So I'm glad you tuned in for our afternoon service, continuing the series on marriage and family. And this afternoon, we're going to have a look at manipulation and abuse. And that's from Genesis 3. If you want to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 3, in verse 16, but just the very last two lines of Genesis 3, verse 16. Genesis 3, verse 16b. Manipulation and abuse. And as I said this morning, tonight I'm going to take maybe a general look at abuse. I'm not going to include sexual abuse because I want to do a separate sermon on that, God willing, next Sunday afternoon. So let us go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll hear his word. Our Father in heaven, we draw near again to the throne of grace, to you, the almighty God, you, the omniscient God, you know all things, you see all things, the God of all comfort, the God who sustains us, who protects us, who provides for us, the God who cares for us and loves us, the God who has purchased us. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you have made us your own through the death of Jesus, through the blood of Christ, you have sealed us with the Spirit and given us an inheritance in heaven. And thank you that you've given us this life, that we can never die, as Jesus even taught. He who believes in me shall live even though he dies. So this especially for Yolandi's grandma, where she is now no longer here, but this afternoon went to be with you. And we thank you that she was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that she trusted you as her Lord and Savior, that she followed you as her God, and that we know that for her there is now no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more sin, but only perfection and joy and love and peace in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even as your word teaches us to be with Christ, which is far better. <clears throat> we pray that you would comfort them, that you would encourage them, especially Yolandi and Vian, who are part of this church, that you would put your everlasting arms beneath them, under them, that you would bear them up day by day and grant them the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Please speak to us now from your word. And instruct our hearts on this actually kind of depressing subject, a very difficult subject, and help us, Lord, to treat it not only as a theory, but know, know that there are people, and even Christians, who are abused in their marriages, wives who are beaten by their husbands. And we pray that you would help us to go about with this subject with sensitivity and with love and compassion and patience. And also to know that you can even save abusers and that you can give them everlasting life and forgiveness of sins and transform them into new people, into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so domestic violence, obviously it's much wider than, goes wider than just marriage. Uh, like in Genesis 4, you have Cain who killed his brother. He murdered his brother Abel. In Genesis 16, you've got uh, Sarai, Sarah, who abuses her slave woman, Hagar. 
and Hagar flees because she's being abused by Sarah or Joseph, who is sold into slavery by his evil brothers. <clears throat> and then many modern-day cases, cases you know of, cases I know of. I know of a, a woman and her two daughters who actually got involved in, in fist fights and slapping one another and pulling one another's hair, her adult daughters. Or many years ago on uh, radio, Radio Sonne I heard there was a program on and a man called in and said, please can the people pray for me because I'm really struggling, I beat my mother. Actually, we shouldn't pray for you, you should, we should report you to the police. Or another case when I was in primary school, I remember a girl coming to our home, she, they, they lived about three or four houses up the street where she was hysterical and she came running and says, come and help, come and help, come and help. My brother's beating my wife or my, my brother's beating my mother and me. So here's the, the brother beating his own mom, beating the sister. And my dad then, I remember, had a very serious talk with a young man. He was in high school at that stage. And then another case I heard of not long ago of a woman slapping and beating her aged mother. So this is a very serious issue and a very real issue, manipulation and abuse. And obviously, it's very common in marriage, and that's what I want to focus on tonight. So I'm not going to go wide. Uh, I'm not going to talk about child abuse and so on. I'll talk about that next week. But tonight, just in focusing on abuse in marriage. And I know of several cases of this. I remember counseling a husband and wife, and they would fight like cat and dog. And we didn't know of them actually beating one another. We knew of one case, and the police was involved. But then after we excommunicated them, we removed them as members from our church, just the whole situation came to the fore. And we found out that they actually very violent with one another and slapping and beating one another, the, the husband obviously more than the wife. Another case where someone asked me, can I counsel this husband and wife? I didn't know them from a bar of soap. They're not part of our church. And so I did see them for a couple of sessions of counseling, but referred them back to their own pastor. <clears throat> but then I did hear later on that the husband beat his wife, and eventually it ended in the divorce court. Another situation I know of where <clears throat> a husband threatened his wife with a gun, and by the grace of God, later on, that both the husband and the wife became Christians. They were saved, and their marriage was saved. And then one more situation where the police were involved of a husband who would beat his wife often and get very violent and actually at one stage strangled his wife. So these things are very serious matters. And obviously you have many cases where there's not... Uh, beating and slapping and punching involved, but where there's verbal abuse and emotional abuse and breaking one another down and shouting and cursing and swearing. <clears throat> I remember when my study was still in the front in this side of the house, close to the street. From time to time, I would see a husband and wife walking by, the husband with a little boy, and or the boy would just tail along, and then the wife would walk either 
ahead or behind, and this husband would curse his wife, use the vilest and filthiest language, cursing and swearing at his wife, shouting at his wife. One other case I remember was we had a, this was many years ago, we had a midnight service, and a woman came to the midnight service, but her husband forbade her to come. He would forbid her to come to church, but she came to the midnight service, sneaked out, and I'm busy preaching, and I just hear something outside, and men going out, and here the husband rocks up at church, swears at his wife, curses his wife, shouts, and eventually she goes home, and the husband goes home. So that is a common thing in many marriages. How do we deal with a problem from a biblical standpoint? So let's look at Genesis 3, verse 16b, just the last two lines of Genesis 3, 16. God says to the woman, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So first of all, we're going to look at manipulation, and then secondly, abuse. So number one, manipulation. So in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, there's a mean little character, a little girl, I think she's 11 years old, her name is Veruca Salt, and she's what we would call a spoiled little brat. Anything she wants, she gets. If she, if she nags her dad, Daddy, I want this, Daddy, I want that, and her dad just gives her what she wants, and if she doesn't get what she wants, if she doesn't get her way, then she throws a tantrum. And you know, you listen to that and you think, you wish it, it, that was just in movies and in books that that kind of things happen. But unfortunately, that's reality. That's reality. Those are the hard facts. It happens in real life. And it happens in marriages. So you have married couples that you, they use different kinds of tactics to get their way. So uh, manipulation through guilt make you feel guilty or the woman just bursts out crying and cries until she gets her way or nags her husband's like a dripping tap, keeps on nagging. She knows she's not a flood that'll just wash everything away, everything in her way and get her way, but she's a tap and she knows if she keeps on, she can erode the even granite or a husband swearing at his wife or shouting in the house or breaking one another down with words or playing the victim poor me and I lick my wounds and I feel self, I have my little pity party and then I know I'll get my way or uh, what we call in Afrikaans duck back, you, know, you blast your lip up, you sulk, you sit in the corner and sulk until you get your way or silent treatment, I won't talk to you, talk to the hand and we won't talk for weeks and maybe even for a month we don't talk to each other, we don't greet one another uh, or the husband's beating his wife or the wife slapping her husband or manipulating with sex, saying, well, if you don't do this, then you, you won't get it from me. Or even threatening with murder, I'll kill you. Or threatening with suicide, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill myself. And that happens among men and women. It's not only men who do it, it's not only women who do it. Verse 16 says of the wife, your desire shall be for your husband. And the husband, you shall, the husband shall rule over you. Now, the context there is not positive. He's not saying you have a sexual desire for your husband because just before it, he said that with pain, you shall bring forth children, saying that here's part of the curse, a lot of pain in childbirth, but your desire for children will be so great, you'll want to uh, sleep with your husband to get pregnant. That's not what he's saying. 
The context here is negative when he talks of your desire for your husband. The, the English Standard Version, remember, the whole thing here is about the fall. It's about the man and woman falling into sin. And now he's saying, here are the consequences of sin. And in the ESV, it says, your desire shall be for your husband. I have a footnote. I've got the 2007 version. And the desire for your husband, it says, or it can mean your desire shall be against your husband. Now, the 2016 version of the ESV, that's on their website. The ESV website says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Or the New Living Translation uh, translates it like this. It says, you, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. That gives the right sense. The woman wants to control her husband. And that interpretation fits the context. Remember the context in Genesis 2, God had said to Adam, you may eat of all of the trees in the garden. Genesis 2 verse 16 and verse 17. But of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat of that tree because the day you eat of that tree, you will die. And then the moment sin comes into the world, you see things turning around. Uh, so in Genesis 2, you've got God creating the man as the leader because he creates him first. That's how 1 Corinthians 11 interprets it. The man is created first. He's the leader. The woman is created from the man. That also proves the man is the leader. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3 and verse 8 and 9. 1 Timothy 2, verse 12 and 13. And then Genesis 2 says the woman is created to be the helper for her husband. Genesis 2, 18. But now sin comes into the world. What happens the moment sin comes in, the roles switch, the roles flip. Suddenly the woman takes the lead and her husband follows her into sin. You've got Satan talking to the woman. He comes in the form of a serpent or he invades the serpent's body. And then in Genesis 3 verse 7 or verse 6, it says the woman took of the fruit, she ate of it, and she gave of the fruit she gave to her husband who was with her. So now she's leading the husband, saying, eat of the fruit. She's tempting her husband to sin, and he falls into sin. He succumbs. He gives in to the temptation. And from that day forth, from the day when the woman led her husband and he followed his wife, Genesis 3 verse 16, now your desire shall be for your husband. These are the consequences of sin, Eve. From now on, this will happen in marriages where women want to dominate their husbands, where women want to take the lead in their marriages. They want to take over the husband's role. And Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 affirms this interpretation, that befestigi die interpretatie, because Genesis 4 verse 7 uses exactly the same words. At the end of the verse, God says to Cain, sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Genesis 3 16, your desire shall be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Same Hebrew words, same Hebrew word that is used for rule. This, is, this means you want to dominate your husband. You want to wear the pants. You want to sit on his head. You want to take the lead in this marriage. Now, there are cases, and I think they're exceptional cases, there are exceptions where you find that women are physically stronger than men. You'll find a marriage, the woman is stronger than her husband. And in those cases, very often, you'll find where women actually abuse their husband physically. They beat their husbands. They threaten them with a knife or with a gun. In the United Kingdom, I checked this, this, these statistics on the internet, and this is about, I think, uh, 20, 
2010-2011 statistics, in the United Kingdom, 40% of the victims in domestic abuse, 40% of the victims in such a marriage, it's men. So the man is abused by his wife. And even in cases where the, where the, the woman is not stronger than the man physically, you could easily harm her if he wishes to, but she knows if I slap my husband, if I bite my husband, if I throw stuff at my husband, he won't, he won't retaliate, he won't beat me. He might shout, he might cower, he might have a pity party, he might leave the room, but I know he's not going to beat me up. He's not going to uh, lift his hand and, and beat me with his fists. And so in cases like that, you might even find such women who beat their husbands. I know of one such case where this man, he was quite well built, and he's got this scrawny little, he's got this little wife. She's small and she's short and she's thin. And he told me where they had big marriage problems that she actually grabbed him by the private parts and violently attacked him. So you have those cases too. And if you're a woman like that, you should repent. Maybe you're watching the sermon, you're listening to the recording on Anchor. You should repent of your sin. You think that manipulation and violence is the only way to get, your, to get your husband's attention or to make him see your point of view, you're wrong. Actually, what you're doing, you're just driving him further and further away from you. You're just causing him to become embittered against you, as Colossians 3 verse 19 in the New American Standard Bible says. Husbands, do not become embittered against your wives. And you are a cause of that, inciting him and enticing him and tempting him toward bitterness, as one case I know of, where the husband actually became so bitter toward his wife because she acted like this violently and would throw stuff or um, act with violence. And that man eventually just couldn't take it anymore and he ran away from home. Listen, manipulation and violence is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the solution. Jesus can change you. Jesus can change your marriage. Because with God, all things are possible. You can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, says Paul in Ephesians 3 verse 20. But then he wants you to trust him. Trust him and say to him, Lord, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of fighting in my marriage. And ask forgiveness for manipulating your spouse uh, for manipulating your husband. In this case, I'm going to talk to the husbands now. For breaking him down and for even using violence in some cases. And then ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask him to forgive you on the ground of the cross. On, because of what Jesus did on Calvary when he died for sinners. And by the power of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the risen Christ, that he can transform you and change you from the inside. And then start filling yourself with the word and ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Because if you're filled with the word, Ephesians, Colossians 3 verse 16 says that the word of Christ should dwell in you richly. And then verse 18, then you can be the kind of wife that respects your husband. Or... In Ephesians 5, verse 18, where it says, be filled with the Spirit, and then verse 22 to 24, one of the results is you'll become a kind of wife that respects your husband and submits in a biblical way. And I know many people abuse even the word submit, where they think it means now a wife can abuse his wife and trample on his wife. That's not what it means. It comes from the wife's side, where she says, here I am, all that I am, 
and all that I have, it is yours, and I follow your leadership. And obviously, you want a husband that will lead you in the ways of Christ. If he leads you into sin, you may not submit, because you sub you should submit as to the Lord. And you can go and reread those sermons or re-listen to those sermons on the wife's role that I preached some months ago. And it may even be that, that the Lord uses your good behavior and your good example to lead your husband to, to the Lord, as 1 Peter 3 says. Okay, so that is manipulation number one. Number two, abuse. <clears throat> now we hear jokes, you hear men sitting around the campfire or uh, having a brine. You hear men telling jokes about uh, wife abuse. And actually, that's no laughing matter. That's a very serious matter. Actually, it's a tragedy, this whole subject. I felt a bit depressed in this week when I started the sermon preparation on this. This is a depressing subject to see what's really going on. Now, we need to ask ourselves the question, ask ourselves the question, where does Where's the fountainhead? What's the origin of this whole issue of abuse in marriage? Where does this come from? Where does this start? Where does the bitter water uh, come from? And we may, we may answer and say, well, it comes from, from when that, that man that now abuses his wife, beats his wife. It comes from when he was three years old, where his parents allowed him to slap them. So he doesn't get his way, and he's sitting on his mommy's lap, and he says, I want a sweetie, and his mommy says no, and then he slaps, he, he hits at his mom, he hits his mom, and then his mom says, no, 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 and then he hits his mom, and then later on they allow him to hit his sisters, and that's where it starts, beating your sisters, and now you wonder why when he's grown up he beats his wife, because you allowed him to do that, you didn't sort him out when... He would hit at you and slap at you and throw a punch at his sisters or slap them for taking the toys from him and so on. Or you can say it started when he was a little boy and he saw the example of his dad. So he saw his dad, oh, this is what happens. When you lose your temper, you beat your, your wife. And so his dad beat his mom and he saw that example and thought, well, that's the way you deal with your anger. And then obviously we can say this, this stems and comes from a prideful and arrogant heart, like in Proverbs 21 verse 24. This man is arrogant, he's a scoffer, he's prideful. And he actually, he's, he considers himself as kind of a god. And he thinks, I am God, and, and he's in control of his life, and he's in control of everyone else. And if he doesn't get his way, if his, if his wife opposes him, as Proverbs 9 verse 7 says, don't rebuke a scoffer or he will become violent. And this is what he does. He becomes violent because he's a scoffer. He's an arrogant man. He's a prideful man. And if you don't give him his way, then he lifts his fists, and then he throws a punch at his wife, and he beats up his wife. This is the kind of man, he loves feeling the sense of being in control. He's in control. He loves the sense of feeling that everyone cowers before his almightiness, his omnipotence. I'm the all-powerful one, and you cringe before me if you don't give me my way. And that's why he rules with an iron fist. That's why he manipulates his wife. That why, that's why he, he even monitors his wife. He monitors her, her phone, and her phone calls, who's she calling? Who's she WhatsApping? Where does she get messages? 
messages from. He monitors her bank account, where she's spending money, why she's spending money, how much money is she spending. And he starts controlling this. And he locks her up in a room or locks her in the house or keeps her away from friends and family because they're brainwashing her. And then to feel this sense of power even more, he starts bullying her with a Bible, with Bible verses. And especially if he knows the Bible better than she does. And then he starts, he starts getting angry and he, and he abuses the Bible, just like he abuses his wife. And he starts quoting Bible verses to make her feel guilty, to make her feel she's a terrible wife, and to make her feel that, that God is angry at her because she's not obeying God. Because Ephesians 5 verse 22 says... Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You're not submitting to me. You are disobedient to God, woman. Why are you not submitting as the Bible tells you to? But that same husband forgets to quote Ephesians 5 verse 25 to himself. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. So he just quotes the Bible when it suits him. He doesn't love his wife like Christ loved the church. He's not sacrificial. He, he doesn't sacrifice for his wife. He's not like Jesus. You see, that's the problem. That's why he beats his wife, because he's unsaved. He's not like Jesus Christ. So where does his sin start? His sin starts with a sinful nature inside of him. And where did that start? Genesis 3. That's where everything just went haywire. That's where everything just went off the rails. Because God told Adam in Genesis 2, the day you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you die. And then what's the very first instance where Adam uses that? When God says, who told you? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat of? And then Adam says in Genesis 3 verse 12, the wife you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. So what is Adam saying indirectly? Indirectly, Adam is saying, God, if there's someone who must die, it's Eve. And actually he's saying, you should die because you gave me the woman. But that is the very first instance of wife abuse. Let this woman die because she gave me to eat of the tree. And from that day, men abuse their power. Men abuse their superiority in, in physical strength to abuse their wives, to bully their wives. Verse 16, it says, Your desire shall be for your husband, but what will he do? He will rule over you. He will dominate. And that's exactly what the Hebrew word means when it says he will rule over you. It doesn't mean, oh, you're going to try and wear the pants in the house, but your husband will be the leader. That's not what it's saying. That word rule over you is, again, it's the same word as in Genesis 4 verse 7. Where it says in Genesis 4 verse 7, Cain, sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You must trample on sin. You must dominate sin. You must act harshly against your own sin. And so what Genesis 3 verse 16 is saying then, is you will desire to control your husband, to manipulate and dominate him, but he's going to dominate you. And God is not saying this is how it should be. God is just saying these are the, the sad consequences of sin. Now let me tell you, if you want a good marriage, be very hard on your own sin and be soft on your wife. Do Genesis 4 verse 7, not Genesis 3 verse 16. Do Genesis 4 verse 7, dominate your sin. Don't dominate your wife, as 3.16 says would happen. 
So use your power, use your, your, your superiority in physical strength as a man, and in many cases, your superiority in emotional strength to protect your woman, to care for your woman, to love your woman, to lead your wife, not to bully her. 1 Peter 3 verse 7 says, Husbands should live with their wives in an understanding way, as the weaker vessel, as one who is physically weaker. She is an heir with you of the grace of life. Sy is a mede erfgenaam van die genade van die lewe. Sy is jou helper, sy is jou geleike, sy staan langs jou. Beskerm al, lei al, be, um, en bewaar al. And then love your wife as you love your own body. Ephesians 5 verse 28 to 30. You love your wife as your own body. How do you love your own body? You don't abuse your own body unless you're a moron. You don't abuse your own body. You care for your body. You feed your body. You protect your body. And do the same then for your wife, says Ephesians 5. Do that for her. Nourish her and cherish her. Now, to the, to the ladies, I want to ask this question. What if your husband doesn't do that? What if your husband does not love you in that way, but he mistreats you, he abuses you? The first thing you do is you come to Jesus Christ. You come to the Lord Jesus because he says, All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Come to the Lord Jesus. Jesus himself was abused. You know that. He was abused for us, to save us from our sin. And so Jesus knows what you are going through. He understands. He was despised and rejected, says Isaiah 53. And then he was abused. He was taken away like a sheep to the slaughter. And then you pour out your heart to the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to read you a psalm now. It'll appear on your screen. But you pour your heart out to Jesus. And especially in a time like this, you go to the psalms. Because that is what happened to them. Let me just give you this one example. I'm going to read to you from Psalm 55. And you'll see it on the screen. This is a psalm of David. And I know this is taking extra time in the sermon. And it's going to make the sermon longer. But maybe there's a wife sitting somewhere and she needs this. And I hope this encourages your heart and comforts you. Um, psalm 55. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a muskil of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me, answer me. I'm restless in my complaint. I moan because of the noise of the enemy, and that enemy in your case is the husband, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger, that's your husband, they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. Horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. That's how you feel. You want to run away from home. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry and find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest, the storm. Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues, for I see violence in your house and strife in the city. Day and night they go around on its walls and iniquity and trouble are within it, meaning within the city. Ruin is, is in its midst. That's what's happening in your house. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it's not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It's not an adversary 
who deals, an enemy who deals insolently or prideful with me, then I could hide from him. It is you. It's you. It's the husband I married. It's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. And then she, oh, David now prays, let death steal over them. That's what you wish. Your husband dies. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and He hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. Maybe, maybe even your in-laws are starting. You know, like one bird, when he starts attacking the other birds, all the birds join in. And they attack, and you're lying on the ground, your husband kicks, and now everyone starts kicking you. Verse 19, in the, on your screen there, God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. Oh, your husband has promised many times he'll change. He hasn't. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated the, his covenant, and in your case, he's violated the marriage covenant. He promised it for better or worse, he will stand by you, he will love you, and he hasn't. His speech was smooth as butter. Oh, he promised you the sun and moon and stars when he married you. All that romantic talk. Yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil. They were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. That's what God tells you to do. Tell the Lord, pour out your heart. He will never per per permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Remind God of his promises, as Isaiah 62 tells you. And then, then call upon the Lord and trust he will answer you and God will bring justice to the fore. Like Israel, where they were slaves in Egypt, they called to God, they cried out, and it said their, their cry for help reached into the ear of God. The end of Exodus chapter 2. Even Jesus, on, the, on his way to the cross, he did not threaten. When they threatened him, when they abused him, he did not threaten. When they insulted him, he didn't return with insults, but he kept on entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So please do not retaliate. Do not return violence with violence. And I know often that people do that, like a psychologist told a woman that if your husband goes to bed, you take a frying pan and you beat your husband. You tell him, I'm going to beat you if you sleep. And you have to go and sleep again. You can beat me again, but I'll keep on beating you until you stop beating me. Uh, and, and, and the Lord can use that, obviously. God can use that. Like a, a man I know, he says when he was a young boy, his mom was a single mom, and the boyfriends would come and stay over at his mom's house. And he said his mom had one boyfriend, and this boyfriend used to beat up his mom. And he was 11 years old, and he said one day, when that man did it again, and he lifted up his fists, to the mom. This boy went to the kitchen. He got the heaviest frying pan he could find, and he said he beat that guy. He beat him on the head. He lights out. The guy lay on the floor. And then he got on top of the guy. He slapped him in the face, woke him up. He said, hey, you beat my mom again. I'll kill you. And this 11-year-old boy, and he said that man left the room, left the house, left their life, lives, and he never returned. So God can use that, but I don't think it's the best solution. I think the biblical solution 
uh, wouldn't be that because you, you might evoke even a stronger reaction from a man like that. Like in, in Judges chapter 15, Richter, where Samson, the Philistines, do something against him, he does something worse. They do something, he does something So it's just going to be a game of back and forth, playing tennis and slamming the ball and slamming the ball and slamming the ball, and uh, you're going to get nowhere. And especially for wives like, like that, I want to say, don't challenge your husband in the sense that you go and stand right in front of his face and you start shouting and say, come on, beat me, beat me up. You want to do that? Beat me up. Don't do that. Don't do that and challenge him to beat you up. Rather, pray for your husband. As Jesus says, pray for those who abuse you in Luke chapter 6 and overcome evil with good. Romans 12 teaches us that. Now, if I say overcome evil with good, good, good also means you go to the police and you report your husband to the police so that the government, so that the police then can avenge. They can avenge. They can bring God's vengeance upon your husband as Romans 13 teaches us. And please, if you do go to the police, do not exaggerate. Don't tell the police or don't tell other people, your friends or whoever, that your husband is beating you up if he shoved you once. Like I know of a story like that. The husband lost his temper. He became frustrated with his wife. They had a fight and he never beat his wife, but this one day he shoved her. And then she went around telling stories that my husband's beating me up, my husband's a wife beater, and it wasn't true. So don't cry wolf if it was only a Jack Russell. You get the picture. But if your husband is an abuser, if he does beat you up, don't hide it. So don't, when people ask you, what's the mark on your face? What's the blue mark on your eye? Don't say, oh no, I tripped and I hit my, my eye against the cupboard. Don't say that. Tell your spiritual leaders in the church, tell them what's going on at home. And if your husband is a member of the church, then we should practice church discipline. And then also ask the leaders, they can help you to open a case at the police. Like Ephesians 5 tells us in verse 11, don't hide the things that happen in the dark. Don't hide it. Bring it into the light. Or Proverbs 24, verse 11 and 12. Those who are being led away to slaughter, don't say, oh, we didn't know this. God sees it. God knows it. What are you going to do about it? We should act and we should talk about it if she's being beaten up. Now, maybe you as a woman, you as a wife, you're afraid of this because your husband has threatened you in the past. You tell anybody, I'll kill you. And maybe he even took out a gun when he said that to you and he threatened to kill you, or maybe he threatened, if you tell anybody, I'll commit suicide, and it will be your fault, and then you're on this guilt trip, and you feel it's going to be your fault, and so you'd rather just shut up and tell no one. Or maybe, maybe he tells you, it's you, you're driving me to beat you up. You're the one, you're causing me to do this because you're such a bad woman, you're such a bad wife. Or maybe he, he promises to change. Please don't tell anyone I'll change. I'll never do this again. But he's lying. He does it again and again. Or maybe he threatens to leave you. I'm going to divorce you. And you might think, well, obviously a wife won't be threatened by something like that. She doesn't want this man in her life. He's ruining her life. But you'll be surprised because that wife might be afraid. She might think, I've got nowhere else to go. I don't have money. I don't have a job. I don't earn enough. I won't survive. I can't rent a flat. I've got this kid to take care of, or maybe two or three kids. 
And she's afraid that the husband will leave, and that's why she doesn't report him to the police. Or maybe they're going to lock him up. What's going to become of them when they, they won't survive? They'll land on the street. Or maybe the husband threatens you. He says, I'm going to take the kids away from you, and I'll, I'll build my case. I'll tell the court that you you uh, a bad woman, and, and you're not... Uh, what's the word with the kids? Unbefug. You don't have the ability to take care of these kids. And you're not a competent mother. And you, you're especially afraid because he's got contacts. He knows a lawyer. He knows someone. He can, he's got money. He can bribe lawyers. And, and you're afraid this might happen. He'll take the kids from you. Listen, God can protect you like he protected David when David, for years and years of his life, had to flee from Saul, from King Saul. And Saul didn't only threaten to kill him. Saul actually did try to kill David on numerous occasions. But God protected David. And the same God can protect you. And the same God can cause your husband to fall into the pit that he digs for you. To hang himself on the rope that is the noose that is set up for you. Uh, like in 1 Samuel 31, where eventually Saul commits suicide. Saul kills himself. I know of a case like that where the husband, he used to beat his wife. This came out after he died. It came out. She published it in a, in a popular South African women's magazine. Years, years later, she says, all right, I'm ready to now tell the story. Her husband's the pastor, and before church, he would beat her up. And, then, and he would beat her in such a way that she's not beaten in the face, but beat her in the stomach and in the kidneys. And she would lie on the floor cringing, and he would just tell, you, tell her, you can't tell anyone it's going to ruin my ministry, and, and that kind of thing. But he would beat up his wife, and eventually he tried to murder his wife. But he was unsuccessful in the attempt. He, he tried to make it look like an accident. And he was unsuccessful, and eventually the whole story came out. And there were court cases, and this guy's going to now go to prison. And what does he do? Well, he dug a hole for his wife. He fell into the hole. He committed suicide. So God can protect you. God can protect you well enough. Now, if you are married to a man like that, and your life is in danger, flee. Flee. Now, you, you, asking, you may ask about, are you saying get divorced? I'm not saying divorce. Uh, I'm going to talk about that in three weeks' time because I'm going to preach two or three sermons on divorce in this series. And women may ask, may I get divorced for physical abuse? May I get divorced for sexual abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, and so on? I'm going to talk about that. But I am saying for now, flee and go to a safe place where there's Christian family or Christian friends um, Jesus even said that in Matthew 10, verse 23, if they f persecute you in one town, flee to the next town. The apostle Paul did that. In Acts 14, where they wanted to persecute him, he fled, he ran away, he went to a safe place. And if the church knows about this, if this thing becomes public, ask the church to pray for you. Remember, this is not just a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle because your husband is in the bonds of his own sin. He's a slave of Satan. And the way we fight that war is with spiritual weapons, with the weapons of prayer and the Word of God and the Gospel and so on. And then trust the Lord. In these circumstances, trust Him to provide in your material needs. As in Psalm 68, verse, um, Afrikaans is verse 6 and 7, so the English must be verse 5 and 6, where it speaks of widows and the fatherless, and God is the protector and the homeless. God will give you a home. And God does give you a home. If you belong to Jesus Christ, the church is your home. The church is your family. 
And even there, people can care for you and help your material needs, and the church can help. And then believe in all these things. Believe God can work these very difficult circumstances and evil circumstances. God can work to your advantage. God can work it together for good, says Romans 8. Like, like Joseph, when his brothers sold him, that was a terrible situation and a terrible crime they committed, a terrible sin, but God worked it out for good so that Joseph could be in Egypt and save many lives. Now, there are two things that I want to say at this point, two things you must not do, two things you should try and avoid. The one thing is, don't withdraw the case from the police if the, the police come and arrest your husband. Don't bail him out if he's guilty. Because Proverbs 19 verse 19 tells us, if someone has an anger problem and you help them out, you're going to have to do it again and again and again. They won't learn their lesson. Your husband needs to learn there's consequences for his sin. And in, in the same breath, I want to say, if you do bail him out, if you do withdraw the case from the police, you are harboring a criminal. He's a danger to himself. He's a danger to you and your children. He's a danger to society. And so don't bail him out. That's the one error you should avoid. The second error you should avoid is don't ask counsel from unbelievers whether it's your friends, whether it's a family member, whether it's a neighbor or a colleague or a psychologist or a counselor. Don't go to unbelievers. Psalm 1 verse 1, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't walk in the counsel of unbelievers. Why? They're going to give you unbiblical advice. They're going to tell you, you, your husband's a narcissist, your husband's a psychopath, and they don't even know the whole story. Now, I'm not saying your husband isn't evil and wicked. I'm just saying they don't know the whole story, so that what they're going to encourage you to do is get divorced, get divorced, get divorced. And I'll talk about that in this sermon on divorce. I'm not trying to, to uh, now say what are the grounds for divorce and what, what aren't the grounds for divorce. We'll get to that. And I'm not trying to tell you stay in the, the dangerous situation. What I am telling you is before you take a big decision like that to just get divorced, talk to devoted Christians. Talk to people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, to people who know the Word of God and have wisdom, and people who have experience in their walk with Christ and in life. Especially in a case where physical abuse is not a factor. Because in many cases, and I'm not saying emotional abuse and verbal abuse is not a serious thing. I'm just saying people are very quick to get divorced. I'm being emotionally abused. Um, and I know it's a, a very painful thing to be in a marriage like that, but just get counsel first. Because Proverbs 11:14 says, in the abundance of counselors there is wisdom or victory. All right, now, gentlemen, or I actually should not call you a gentleman if you're a wife abuser. Maybe you're the perpetrator. Maybe you're the one, you are the abuser. I want to tell you, you are a coward. You are a sissy. You are an enemy of righteousness. You're a child of the devil. You're a hyena. You're always preying upon the weak. Preying upon the weak. And when the Lion of Judah comes, he will tear you to pieces. 
It says in Exodus chapter 22, and I can apply this to uh, marriages where there's abuse, but Exodus 22, verse 22 says, You shall not mistreat any fatherless or any widow or fatherless child. And that can be, You shall not mistreat your wife either, because that's just a biblical command love your wife. You shall not mistreat them. If you do mistreat them, they cry and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my anger will burn, and I will kill you with a sword, and your wives and will, shall become widows and your children fatherless. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, another principle I want to apply, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 to 9, it speaks of Christians who are persecuted by unbelievers, and we can even apply this, a, a wife who is abused by her husband. Jesus will come to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You do not obey the gospel. You do not obey the word if you beat your wife or even abuse her in other ways. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. You are in serious trouble. When Jesus returns, you keep on in your sin, you're going to be history. So call upon the Lord. You still have time. Call upon the Lord. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness that you have exalted yourself as a God, saying, I am the one to whom my wife must answer. I will do this. I will control. And you have ruined your wife. You have ruined your wife. And you should ask the Lord to forgive you for your selfishness. And you should ask, you should ask Him for forgiveness. You should ask Him to save you from the selfishness inside of you and to change you and transform you into a husband who will love his wife and protect his wife and care for his wife and be gentle with his wife and not be full of anger against his wife. Colossians 3.19 in the ESV. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Get spiritual help. If you, once you've been converted, get spiritual help. Become involved in a, in a local congregation where you can learn the Bible, where you can pray with other believers, where you can form friendships with other men, where you can be accountable to another man for your short temper, for your anger, where you can have a spiritual support system and ask a strong Christian man, a mature Christian man, please, can you help me? Can you help me and, and walk the road with me and start teaching me from the Bible how a man should treat his wife, how he should live with his wife? And please hold me accountable for my temper. And then you memorize Ephesians 4, verse 29 to 32, where Paul says that, that harsh language shouldn't be part of how we speak. I just want to get to those verses then <coughs> get to the verses and, and read it to you. Um, Paul says in Ephesians 4:29 the following, and you can apply this to marriage, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then start praying for your wife and start praying for yourself and for your growth and start praying for your marriage. You know, I, I counsel husbands and wives and they fight one another and I ask them, when, when, how often do you pray for your wife? How often do you pray for your husband? No, we don't pray for each other. When last did you pray for your marriage? No, I don't pray for it. Oh, so what you want, you want to get with violence. But you don't ask the Lord, Lord, help me. And then you trust that the Lord Jesus Christ can give you the supernatural strength to change. Ephesians 1 verse 19 where Paul prays for the Ephesians, and he says that the same power that worked in Christ when God raised him from the dead, that same power works in us. So by the power of the risen Christ, by the resurrection power of Jesus, it's possible for you to change from the inside. In this week, during the week when I asked a number of pastors about their experience in counseling this issue and these issues in the church with abuse. One friend told me that his father actually would abuse his mother. And this went on for years, that his dad abused his mom and abused her not only verbally but physically also. Until my dad was converted, he said. When my dad became a Christian, it all changed. And I saw that day, it is possible to change. And it's possible only through Jesus Christ to truly change right into the depths of your being. So, so follow these principles and these commands from Scripture and then ask a woman. Go to a strong Christian woman in the church and ask that woman to help your wife and to walk the road with her and to help her through the trauma. Help her through the trauma. And then ask your wife to forgive you and go the extra mile in showing love and kindness to your wife and treating her with respect. And expect, expect, it's going to take time for your wife to trust you again. Expect that. But be patient and persevere. Now, for the last few minutes, I just want to talk to the single people for a moment. Because you hear all of this and you think this is for married people. Listen, you might meet a man. You might meet a man and wonder, should I marry this man? Is he the right kind of man? Because how many wives walked into this blindly, not knowing this is a wife abuser? So I want to warn you, don't marry the first man that comes along. Get to know the guy and watch, watch closely. How does he treat his mother? How does he treat his sisters? Because that's the way he's going to treat you. And then ask your parents, especially your dad, and you'll ask your brothers to get to know this guy before you even think of marrying him. Let them come from an objective perspective, as beta standards, as objectively to see and tell you this is not the man to marry. And then also watch closely how's this guy, how's his emotional life? Does he, is he 
Does he bear grudges against people? Is he bitter toward people? Does he have a short temper when he's on the road? Does he rage and shout and swear and show his fist or point a finger at other motorists? Is he someone who drinks a lot? Because Proverbs 20 verse 1 says uh, that wine is a brawler, wine is a fighter, and strong drink is a brawler. So men who drink too much often become aggressive and they become violently aggressive. So if he's a drinker, break up the relationship. Don't marry a man like that. Even if he promises to change, don't marry a man like that. Has he lost his temper with you? If he's lost his temper with you, be careful, be wary, be watchful. I would, I would encourage you just break it off there and then and say, I'm not going into this. Don't trick yourself. Don't mislead yourself saying, he's going to change. It'll change when we're married. It's not going to change, and he's, he's not going to change. Unless the Lord, and besides, you're not supposed to marry an unbeliever if you're a Christian. Rather pray and ask the Lord, Lord, give me a husband that, whom I can respect, whom I can look up to, a husband, and I can follow his lead. Now, maybe you're afraid, and you say, no, I don't want to. I don't want to do what you tell me. You know why? Because if I don't marry this man, then I'm going to, I'm, I won't find a husband at all. Well, that's just unbelief speaking. That is unbelief speaking. You would rather have a husband that beats you up than have no husband. And that, that's serious. There are women like that. I've met two of them. Women who would rather marry, uh, women who would, they weren't married to the men, but would rather have this boyfriend that, that beats them and he's He's beaten her before. He's beaten her up before. She breaks up. She goes back to him. Why does she go back? Because I'd rather have someone in my life than no one in my life. If you're stupid, then you're going to suffer. Proverbs 22 verse 3, where the Solomon says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. If you're not going to be prudent, if you're not going to be wise, you're going to walk into this relationship and you're going to be stuck in a, in a terrible marriage with a man like that. Or, for some men, a woman like that. And that is unnecessary. Rather remain single than being in a marriage where a husband abuses you, and later on you start learning his ways. Listen to this. Proverbs 22, and then I'm done. Proverbs 22, verse 22. I quoted Proverbs 22, verse 3 a moment ago. But listen to this. Proverbs 2, 22, 22 uh, to 24. Have I got the wrong verse? I do. It's 22, verse 24 and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger. Don't date a man given to anger. Don't marry a man given to anger. Nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You're going to learn his ways, you're going to wind up in a very, very unhappy marriage. And then finally, I just want to say, keep a close watch on your own character. Watch your own character, that you have a pure character, a holy character, a righteous character, the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, because if you're that kind of character, you're going to attract the right kind of man. I'm still talking to the singles. You're going to attract the right kind of man. 
If you have a rotten character, an evil character, a perverse character, you are going to attract the wrong kind of man, just like dog poo attracts flies. Our Father in heaven, Lord, this is a serious matter, and even when I come to you, I feel the burden when I pray about the issue, because I know this is a reality in numerous marriages, and perhaps even people in our church hiding it right under our noses, and wives keeping quiet because they're afraid. Lord, I know it will not be pleasant if such things are exposed, but I do pray, if, if this is in our church, please expose it, and please help us to deal with it in a biblical way, and in a God-honoring way, and to bring justice. Please, will you bring justice? And even better, Lord, will you change such manipulative wives or abusive husbands, or abusive wives and manipulative husbands? Please change those marriages and help them to be God-honoring marriages. I pray that you would protect us as parents, and grandparents to help our children to marry wisely and that children will not think they know better than their parents and think I will marry the man my parents are wrong they don't know him and then wind up in a terrible marriage I also pray for those who were disobedient to their parents and just went followed their own ways that have wound up in broken marriages, that you would have mercy on them. Pray for the abused wives, that you would protect them and comfort them. Or husbands who have wives that curse them and swear at them all the time and tell them they're useless, that you would encourage them and lift them up. And then I pray for the single women and the single men in the church to marry wisely and to rather remain single, serving the Lord, than going into such a relationship. Have mercy on us, Lord, and help us to shine the light of Jesus to a hopeless and lost world, and that we will not become a reason for unbelievers to stumble because we ourselves are disobedient to you and do not deal with these things in a biblical way and we sin against you. Oh, forgive us our sins, Lord, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and lead us into the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless.